half of a degree doesn't sound like much, does it? When you tweak your heating at home by half of a degree, it doesn't feel very different. But when it comes to nature, every fraction of a degree matters. We live in an unprecedented time, one where severe droughts and forest fires can rage in frozen climates, and countries are battling the rising tides. In order to limit global warming to 1.5 Celsius, we need to change how we think about the future and how we live today, but also how our businesses operate. Thankfully, the message is out, but we also need action. You're listening to The Future of Business, the WWF podcast series for sustainable, innovative business solutions. Welcome to the first season supported by Velux. What's the full potential of the corporate sector to lead the transition to a carbon neutral world? Let's find out together. I am Peter Barrett from the Worldwide Fund for Nature, and I hope you will enjoy our first episode. Today, you will hear the perspectives of three different experts. Irina Lucius, a WWF nature conservation scientist with more than 30 years of experience. Lyubomila Jordanova, the creator of an award-winning science and AI-driven platform for decarbonization called Plan A. Adam Ambrosik, a corporate sector representative from one of the leading manufacturers of roof windows, Velux. Let's hear what they have to tell us. I strongly believe that the revolution in terms of energy uh, production is a must. The only action that would be valid is when we start seeing emissions uh, go down. My dream is that um, nature is finally being seen as an essential element in this equation. I think it was in the year 1979, um, I was 17 years old at that time, um, when I um, read an article in a German newspaper about the first global climate conference that took place in that year. Um, and um, well, the main recommendations that came out of that meeting was that humanity must drastically reduce the burning of fossil fuels and must stop cutting down forests, in particular in the tropics. Um, yeah, which looking back is quite amazing. That's 50 years ago. Um, but um, even before I learned about the conference and its outcomes, um, I was a bit of a nerdy kid. Um, I was told by relatives when I was 13 years old, um, I terrorized my parents when they wasted energy or water. Um, I don't know where I got it from, but somehow it must, must have occurred to me a logical thing. Discussions about nature conservation and environmental sustainability should always be based not just on individual opinions, but based on science. That is why your first guest today is Irina Lucius, an environmental scientist who every morning steps into the shoes of the Regional Conservation Director of WWF Central and Eastern Europe, or as we love to call this region, the Green Heart of Europe.
all what science tells us is that indeed we are too slow. Um, earlier this year, um, there was the latest IPCC report coming out. This is a United Nations report um, compiled by over 200 experts from around the world. And this report tells us that we only have two years left to turn the wheel around. And afterwards, we must um, cut carbon emissions drastically year by year. If we look at the current plans, the pledges of the countries um, that are on the table concerning um, cutting greenhouse gases, then we are on path to a plus three degree world by the end of this century. And that was, it would be a disaster. So um, urgent action is absolutely necessary. Businesses are critical in the fight against climate change. They are the source of most of the world's emissions and they are also being affected by it. So let's hear what are the steps businesses should take according to WWF. Step one. To measure, um, especially one's own um, well, status quo is um, a very important starting point for businesses, um, a clear to do. Step two. And then to set a very clear and ambitious target for reducing emissions. Um, we believe that um, for most companies that should entail halving um, greenhouse gas emissions, both within the company and in the supply chain um, by the year 2030. And then of course, move towards um, an, a net um, zero target by the year 2050. But that's not enough. Companies can do so much more. Companies should engage in financing and supporting um, initiatives that have the goal to limit climate change to plus 1.5 degrees but also um, to advocate um, for solutions, engage in policy processes, be um, a vocal front runner that um, requests from policymakers, decision makers, society to be more ambitious, um, to collaborate um, with their peers to jointly overcome um, obstacles. There are still some, some obstacles, technical obstacles left um, to reaching um, our go common goal um, to limit climate change to plus 1.5 degrees. Um, but then also, uh, maybe as a last point, to enable and to inspire customers of businesses um, to do um, their share. On the other side of the coin, there are some quite deep greenwashing traps. So let's find out how to avoid falling in them. There are companies that believe by financing some tree planting somewhere, um, they have done their job. No, the first and utmost goal is to reduce one's own emissions. And um, on top of that, um, either to compensate for past emissions or to compensate for um, maybe um, a small gap that is left between reaching the own target and, and one's, one's solutions. Um, as I mentioned, there are still some technological um, obstacles to overcome. And um, for this um, last bit, 
for this last mile, um, offsetting um, would be acceptable from our point of view, but only if it is scientifically sound. So it appears that offsetting is acceptable only in specific cases. Wondering what's the danger of not making it right? Tree planting seems to be the number one solution that everybody is at the moment pursuing, um, but also that has to be done in a scientifically sound manner. Um, trees um, planted um, in an area where they naturally don't belong can do a lot of harm, and um, especially when they are planted in monocultures, um, because they are far less um, resilient, far more susceptible to a changing climate. Here is an example from our region, Central and Eastern Europe. We see sprouted monocultures that were planted decades ago because of market demand for such timber. We see these forests um, being um, far more impacted by climate change than more natural forests. What I mean, for example, is um, we are observing um, in increasingly um, storm um, incidences and quite often these sort of spruce monoculture forests um, then show a lot of windfall um, or, um, of course, we, we also observe bark beetle attacks. Bark beetles um, have become um, a, 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 a more prominent problem um, because of the warmer climate. Um, they are doing better. Um, but these monoculture forests um, are far more susceptible to these bark beetles. When we think of ecosystems for absorbing carbon from the atmosphere, our minds instinctively go to forests. But there are other critical ecosystems business could value and invest in order to help us in the long run. Oceans actually sequester and store more carbon than all of the global forests together, um, something that is often overlooked. Um, but if we look at the impact that climate change already has on oceans, the, the rising temperatures, but also the way um, humanity has been exploiting marine resources, um, um, for example, overfishing, it's clear that this um, web of life within oceans is already um, degrading and um, thereby also the ability of, of oceans to um, be um, a very important pillar of fighting against um, climate change um, is being lowered. So investing in ocean health would also be something that can strongly be recommended. Another example are wetlands, um, for example, bogs. Um, bogs are um, excellent um, ecosystems when it comes to capturing and storing carbon. But unfortunately, um, many bogs on Earth have been drained over the past decades. They, they are degrading. Um, and while they are degrading, they actually start emitting carbon. That can be reversed by restoring these bogs um, we can, um, again, um, have them as a very important mechanism um, for fighting against climate change.
I strongly believe that business can be driven by the nature. I mean, there are a lot of similarities. Nature used to be inspiring for people from ages. Uh, let me just give you an example. The first plane was actually inspired by, by birds. Even modern plane, which is a Boeing Dreamliner, Dreamliner uh, wing shape, uh, is also inspired by, uh, by, by the bird. So it shows that there are many, many similarities and we can uh, not only um, uh, take care about the environment and, and protect the environment, but we can source the inspiration from, from the nature and we can be uh, very successful in, uh, by, in doing business, which is the business uh, close to the nature uh, with, uh, with an inspiration sourced from, from this. Moving on from the scientific perspective, we have invited Adam Ambrosik to help us better understand the topic of climate leadership from a corporate point of view. Adam is a lawyer and economist who is currently working at Velux, one of the world's leading manufacturers of roof windows. He is responsible for managing the company's public affairs in Central and Eastern Europe. In 2020, Velux launched its 2030 years sustainability strategy. One of its main objectives is pioneering climate and nature action. Let's hear from Adam what Velux are doing to reduce their carbon emissions. I can honestly say that reducing carbon emissions is our everyday business. It's been more than two years since we have launched our 2030 sustainability strategy, which in accordance with our model company objectives, commits us to do more than most companies do in terms of taking climate and nature actions and driving change, uh, both within Velux, uh, our sector and much beyond. The building sector is responsible for 37 of global CO2 emissions. This shows without any doubts that urgent actions is needed. We need to decarbonize the sector and deliver sustainable, healthy and affordable buildings to meet Paris Agreement. Velox is a part of this transformation. Our sustainable strategy covers all aspects of our business, including our value chain. We do care not only about our own emissions, but our goal is to reduce our carbon footprint, which comes from our suppliers. We believe that only thanks to this kind of comprehensive approach, we can really reduce our emissions efficiently and contribute to fulfill Paris agreements. Value-based leadership is a strong driver for a company to become more sustainable. Back in 1965, almost 50 years ago, Velux founder says the so-called model company objective. Its purpose is to urge Velux to always do better than most of other companies. Working responsibly with scarce natural resources is a key piece of that framework. But what else besides values could be a good reason for a business to change? The carbon reduction these days is very economic driven. Uh, most of carbon emissions comes from the energy sector comes from the energy consumption. And so one, once these days we are suffering because of energy crisis and the cost of energy becomes uh, a, a significant cost in, the, in our business, 
it occurred that by saving energy, uh, we get economic benefits, but at the same time, we are saving uh, and reducing the uh, carbon emissions, uh, which means that all those goals, I mean, economic goals and uh, sustainable goals, goes together uh, and uh, as strong as never uh, before. Also, I observed that the carbon reduction becomes a, a, kind, a kind of a market demand. I mean, the more and more car of our customers requires from, from us that we will be ecology-friendly company. We will reduce our carbon footprint because they want to buy a product which are more and more ecology-friendly. So Velax is working um, to reduce carbon emissions from its operations to near zero uh, and halve its value chain emissions with these decades. Let, let's find out a bit more about this process. So how did you start it? How did you set those targets? Uh, we set our targets uh, by creating partnerships. Uh, the first step was to join SBTI uh, together with uh, all, more than 4,000 companies around the world. And the science-based targets provide the companies uh, the clear definition how to calculate, how to count, and then how to reduce emission in the line with the Paris Agreement goals. So uh, this allows us uh, not only to, uh, to calculate uh, our current carbon footprint, but also it gives us a guidelines how to reduce it in the future. Setting a sustainability target based on scientific approach is a needed first step. But as Adam says, the key element is to execute them. We have asked the Balax to share some of their actual projects that might serve as an inspiration for other businesses. The newest example was presented during COP27. Uh, it is a partnership with Beiwa in Spain. Uh, the idea of this initiative, of this project, is to build a new solar uh, park uh, and uh, to reduce our carbon emission by 230 by 100% in scope one, which means we, our goal and our ambition is to be carbon neutral in, by 2013. Also, thanks to this initiative, thanks to the producing energy in Spain, uh, uh, thanks to the PV uh, farm, uh, quite big PV farms, which allows us to produce the amount of energy comparable to our uh, company needs. This is the first example, but I would like you to also give a, a very tangible example from my country. Polish factories uh, decided to build a bio-boilers sourced by the chips comes from the production. So we can say that we are using our wastes to heat, to produce the energy, um, to heat uh, our uh, company, our co production company, our offices and our production uh, plants. It allows us to reduce the gas consumption by 80%. And this was only a first stage of, stage of this initiative. Uh, in the upcoming uh, months, we are going to improve the system and be fully uh, gas uh, neutral. It means that we will not use the gas to hit our production. In September 2020, WWF and the Wellax Group launched an ambitious partnership, committing the company to take responsibility for both its past and future emissions. 
no standard methodology exists today for how to calculate a historical carbon footprint. I suggest for us to peek behind the scenes and learn more how they have done it. First of all, I want to highlight that Mother Nature does not distinguish between current and past emissions. Uh, so we have to take care about both. Uh, we have a calculation, very precise calculation, our emissions from 2008. This was the year when we started our first initiative, first sustainable strategy to reduce our carbon footprint. Before that time, yes, there is no precise calculation and there is no methodology to do so. Therefore, we've made a modeling based on GHG protocol principles and we made an assumption and assessment of our um, past carbon emission and on the based uh, on the basis of this estimation we uh, calculate whole emission from the beginning of our business activities in Vilux and decided to uh, get uh, into the partnership with WWF uh, to uh, in, to introduce initiative and projects which would allow us to reduce those emissions from the past Through forest projects developed and driven by WWF, the Velax Group will capture at least 4.5 million tons of CO2. Those are equivalent to the Velax Group historical CO2 emissions, specifically since the company was founded in 1941 and until its 100 years anniversary in 2041. The projects are designed with a 25% buffer so bringing the total estimated carbon capture to 5.6 million tons of CO2. One specific message from our meeting with Adam really stayed with me. You cannot be carbon neutral by yourself. The key is to inspire others because you cannot be uh, climate neutral by yourself. You have your value chain and your value chain has also an impact into your uh, emission. So the partnerships are the key element of our strategy. As I mentioned, uh, we have a partnership with WWF, but we have to set also other partnerships within our value chain to inspire others uh, to follow our uh, ambitions and to reduce their carbon uh, footprint and carbon emissions. In 2016, a big event, uh, which was not big in its size, but in its impact on my life happened. I went on a trip to Morocco and instead of surfing, ended up cleaning uh, beaches from plastic. And it was the first time I was confronted with the idea that climate change and human impact on the planet uh, was real. Uh, our choices to pollute uh, were starting to impact the health of our planet and ultimately uh, were going to lead to a lot of uncomfortable realities for humanity. Um, I didn't know much about the topic uh, at that point. I just uh, knew that there was something called climate change 
But what was more evident to me was definitely pollution. After this trip, I went back to London where I was living and the only uh, thing that all of a sudden became evident to me was how dirty, smelly the city was and how little care we were putting even in places that were certainly a lot more uh, aware about the topic. That's how it kicked off. After that, my life changed significantly and I couldn't give up on the topic, which is why I'm here. Last but not least, today someone very special is joining us, Yubomila Jordanova. Yubomila is a true force of nature when it comes to green tech. Recently, she has been defined as the voice of the planet by Force Bulgaria. Yubomila is the founder and CEO of Plan A, a Berlin, Paris and London-based startup developing end-to-end platform that enables companies to measure and monitor their carbon emission and to improve the ESG performance using machine learning and science. Businesses should first and foremost understand that sustainability is not a side activity to a business, but it's something that needs to be deeply embedded into all different aspects of its existence. Sustainability is also not only related to the environmental side of the topic, but also uh, to survival uh, to longevity of a business. Economic sustainability is also one that is in line of uh, living in a future-proof manner that is respectful to nature. Um, And when this is understood, then a business stands a chance of having a competitive advantage down the line rather than being uh, maybe more responsive uh, to the shocks of the economic system as we're seeing today. There is a rush of money into ESG investment funds. According to Harvard Business Review, those are more than $1 trillion in the last two years. Having said this, it is easy to think everyone clearly sees the business value of sustainability. But in reality, many leaders still see ESG-related spending as purely cost and not an investment. Let's try to make a list with some of the actual business advantages environmental sustainability generates. Number one, attract investors' interest. Investors are progressively looking into ESG factors, so environmental, social and governance factors. And uh, there's a lot of evidence that companies that are aligned to these kinds of criteria have more capacity to respond to shocks. Uh, And now that we live in a reality where we're living one crisis after another, this is a a key criteria for defining where you put your money. Number two, be the brightest star among competitors. Sustainability could be a competitive advantage in an environment where you have your competitors not yet uh, with ambitious plans enough because you have an element that makes you stand out uh, against uh, others and Um, makes you be perceived as maybe similar product, but one that also, again, aligned to values and aligned to a vision for the future um, and uh, um, a longer term, uh, one with a longer term strategy. Number three, employee loyalty. You're more likely to keep your employees if you are offering to them the confidence that you're working alongside their values. You're offering and you're building a business that is uh, actually um, aligned with their vision for the future, which for many it's uh, related to uh, sustainability and response to climate change.
Greenwashing was a topic that we couldn't resist to also cover within our conversations with Lyubomila. So let's us sketch for you the usual characteristics which will help you recognize it even better. The usual traps that we have seen, uh, and uh, it kind of is, uh, um, I think, a, a common denominator across many industries, is uh, uh, actually uh, the idea that A, you think of sustainability as something that is on the side. I gave the example of fast fashion companies, uh, but I would actually uh, think that there's uh, a lot of other industries where you can see that. A fast fashion company cannot be sustainable until it doesn't decide to scale down its production uh, and also until it doesn't decide to apply these sustainability principles that it might be using for one of its lines. So uh, greenwashing in this context uh, is uh, essentially the idea that you think of sustainability as something that is isolated within one part of the business. Another common greenwashing trap is to think that compliance equals action. Uh, there's a lot of studies that uh, came in the last uh, 12 months which show that even though there's a lot of new regulation uh, that has not led to many businesses uh, being able to act on all this regulation and the reports that they prepare for it. And the last example is specifically related with carbon neutrality. We as a company do not allow uh, our clients to claim carbon neutrality on plan A's behalf in the sense that if they use our software and then uh, um, they start reducing emissions, uh, then compensating them would not grant them a certificate from plan A because we don't think that carbon neutrality is enough of a goal uh, in the context of the severity of the climate crisis. Um, Claiming carbon neutrality uh, might by itself not be uh, a, a greenwashing trap, but claiming carbon neutrality only on scope one and two, for example, is actually one-on-one greenwashing. And uh, it needs to be not only avoided, but it needs to be, in my opinion, legally punished. Um, a final example that I think it's interesting to know in, with regards to this third uh, element is in Germany, uh, just a few days ago, uh, the German court made it illegal to be able to claim carbon neutrality and have the, the badge on your products or your websites because it's considered to be misleading uh, to companies. I find this to be a fantastic example of where uh, this greenwashing topic is standing at the moment. As a final question, Let's try to draw a picture together of what the future of business could or should look like. Companies invest in ecosystem health, communities that um, drive innovation. I think the future will be a bit messy. We're going to see a lot of conflicting voices uh, uh, going in one extreme versus another. Green transition in energy is a key element to whole economy decarbonization. My dream is that um, all businesses are um, strongly incentivized um, to really do the utmost to cut emissions um, in their companies and in their supply chains. We need to stand strong together, uh, collaborate and also continue to push uh, education because the more people understand the severity of the topic, the better we will be uh, in responding to it. Thank you very much for listening. You can find us in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and all other platforms. 
If you like the episode, help us reach even more people. Please share it on social media, hit the subscribe button and recommend us to your colleagues and friends. Thank you. Goodbye.